Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Colossians chapter 3, we're off today, we're in Colossians. We're in, verse, in chapter 3, we're looking at verse 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge your goodness to us by giving us your word. We acknowledge that it is true and reliable. The words we read on these pages are your spoken and hearing the Bible word. We want to submit ourselves to it today. Father, we're thankful that we're here. We know there are a lot of people out. Some are worshiping in other places with other family members in other cities. Some are on the lake this morning for a play. Some are camping. Some are visiting relatives. We're thankful that we are here. We're thankful that we had small group time, good time of fellowship and Bible study. We're thankful that we can sing your words and sing gospel truths. We're thankful that we have a family that we can love each other and belong to. Father, we're thankful that there are visitors among us this morning who come to this place to hear your word being taught and to be loved. Father, I pray that you would use us, your church, to love them. May we be hands, your hands, your feet. Pray that we would leave here encouraged and empowered. We want to serve you more. Pray for the children as they're back being taught your truths. May you use today's teaching to bring them to repentance and faith in you in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever worn a wetsuit? Okay, we have several of you. Yeah, you've worn a wetsuit. Uh, and I know there's several people probably clothed in a wetsuit right now. Some of the church family. You wear a wetsuit when you go diving. We have several scuba divers here in our midst. Uh, but also when you ski, sometimes you wear a wetsuit. Uh, if you ever put one of those things on, tell me, is it easier to put one on or to take one off? You think it's easier to put it on or to take it off? In my experience, you take it off, they have a zipper on the back, right? You just zip it. And it's, it's of course, it's, it fits, you know, skin tight. But you just unzip it in the back, and it can kind of just peel off of you, right? And it's not always easy. You just kind of peel it off of you. But to many of putting those jokes on, you know, it, that's the difficult part, is that, you know, trying to get it to. Yeah, you can't peel it on, you know, but you can 
do at all. Uh, I think so. My, my uh, limited experience is easy to, to be able to take one off and to put one on. Last week, if you remember, we studied Paul's admonition to the Colossian believers to put to death the deeds that belong to the old nature, take off the old self, right? Um, and so that's got me thinking about those wet wetsuits. You know, what, what is easier? Is it easier to take off or to put on? And I think it's easier to, to take off. And last week we looked at that. Remember, Paul is right to the Colossian believers, and they are they they're in faith, they're believers, they love Jesus, they love each other, they they give evidence of that in their lives, they produce fruit. So Paul can say with confidence, yes, you are a church, you do love Jesus. But there were some false teachers among them. Stirring up trouble, right? Teaching false doctrine. They're saying that Jesus, faith in Jesus wasn't enough. Christ is not sufficient. Just simple faith in Jesus isn't, isn't sufficient for salvation. And of course, Paul, he's refuting that false teaching. And last week, we looked, because of who they were in Christ. Now remember, the Bible says that they had been given fullness in Christ. When they repented, when they trusted Jesus, they were given fullness in Christ. And because they were given fullness in Christ, they were complete in Jesus, Paul admonishes them and tells them that they were to take off the old selfish ways. And he, and he kind of uses an analogy, an illustration of, of putting on clothes and taking them off. Take off those old clothes, right? Take off the old self. Put to death those deeds of darkness. Put to death those old selfish habits you had, right? And their motivation was because you've been given fullness in Christ. You're complete in Jesus. So get rid of those old things, right? But it's not enough just to, to avoid being nasty and immoral and greedy and malicious. We also think if we don't do those things, hey, if we just don't do all the bad stuff, then we, we can honor and glorify the Lord. We call it, some people call that negative holiness. They say, okay, I just want to do all the bad sins. You know, I don't want to commit sexual immorality, right? I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to lie, right? I don't want to use filthy language, right? But if we, if we don't do those things, then then we can please the Lord. But that is not necessarily true. I mean, when you think of Jesus, what do you think of? You don't think of the things that Jesus didn't do, do you? No, I mean, Jesus, sometimes I say, you know, we talk about uh, being honest. You know, Jesus, he always told the truth. And that's true. Jesus never, never lied. He was perfect. He never sinned. But when we think of Jesus, what do we think of? We think of what he did. He wept over Jerusalem, right? Because those people were like sheep without a shepherd. What else did he do? He touched the leper, right? He healed the lion. He went to Samaria, which is a place that no Jews went to, right? To teach in the truth. He took up his cross, right? And he bore the weight of that cross on the way to Calvary. He allowed him to stick nails in his hands and feet. That's what Jesus did. And on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So we think about, when we think of Jesus, we think about the things he did, right? We think of him being buried in that tomb and on the third day he rose from the 
thing. So when we think of Jesus, we always think about what he did. Did he avoid sin? Yeah, he, of course he did. But what did Jesus do? That's what he's known for. And it's, that's true for you and me as well. We just can't take on the old self, right? Don't do all this stuff, this bad stuff, right? No. We must adopt a new lifestyle that's consistent with our new life, our new position in Christ, right? That's our position that we believers hold. We're in Christ. That means that we're complete in Christ. We've given, been given fullness in Christ. So we should live a certain way. Yes, we shouldn't do certain things, right? But we can't only just take off the old clothes. We must put on the new. Look at verses 9 and 10. And last week we read this. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. You take off the old self, yes, but we must put on the new ones as well. Well, in today's text, even though we are complete in Jesus, our conduct hasn't grown into our position. Our positions were complete in Christ. We received fullness in Jesus. We are alive with Christ. We have eternal life. We are clothed in the righteousness of God. That's who we are in Christ. But yet our position, we haven't grown into that yet, have we? So, yes, last week, Paul admonished the Colossian believers, put off the old self. Don't do these things. Don't live wickedly. Don't lie. Don't be greedy. Don't be sexually immoral. Yes, of course, we don't want to do those things. But today, I think, we're going to look at putting on the new self, right? First thing I think we learned from this text is that believers are to be motivated to show outwardly what has taken place inwardly. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. And he lists all these virtues that we're to clothe ourselves with. It says they're chosen or elect by God. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says similar things. Now, we're walking through the book of Colossians, but if you want to get a, a, a real good understanding of the book of Colossians, read through the book of Ephesians as well. Because they're, they're, they're teaching a parallel. Real similar. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says that believers are chosen in Jesus before the foundation of the world. And he says here, the believers, they're chosen people. What does it mean to be chosen by God? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean we chose Him. And that's kind of what we, we think sometimes. You know, Jesus died for everybody and He wants all to repent and trust Him. And so we just got to choose Him. I kind of understand where you're coming. Yeah, you must repent. You must trust Him. You must place your faith and trust in Jesus. And when He did on the cross, He died on the cross. On the third day, He rose from the dead. But the truth of the matter is, God chooses us. Right? God chooses us. And He says these believers, they should be motivated to show outwardly what is taking place inwardly because they're chosen people. And then He calls them holy. God chose them to be set apart, to be different. They're to be a different type of people, set apart from the world. They're to be like Him. And lastly, Paul tells his believers they are loved dearly by God. Now, does God love all people? Yeah. For God so loved the world, right? That He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish and have eternal life. Yeah. 
God does love all people, generally. But there's a different affection He has set on His chosen, holy people. There's a special type of love, right? And we can understand that if we have families. Jim, you have a family, you have a wife and, and children. If, if I asked you if you loved a, a certain person in this room, you'd say, yeah, I love people, you know. Yeah, I have a, a love for people. But yet your love for your wife, your love for your children is different, right? There's a special love. You have a special affection for, for these people, right? And that's what it is in scriptures. God has, of course, He loves the world. He loves people. There's a special, different affection for His holy people. And Paul says here, because you are chosen by God, you're holy and set apart, and because God has set His affection on you, you should do what? Clothe yourselves with these virtues. And when you say clothe yourself, we say take this, this illustration, take the clothes off, that means stop doing it, right? Last week, Paul said, put to death these things. Stop doing those things. Today, we said, put on this new self. Put on these, clothe yourselves with these things. What he's saying is you need to start doing those things, right? Don't do the evil things. Start doing things God wants you to do. What does he want us to do, right? What are some of the new godly habits he wants us to start? It says here, to be, he wants us to be compassionate and kind. What does it mean to be compassionate and kind? Just having a tender pity towards the hurting. There's a, a pity towards those who are hurting. And I was thinking about all of these virtues. I'm thinking, how do I explain all these things? And some of them I'll give a little definition, but I think the best thing to do is just look at Jesus' life. Example from Jesus' life. In Luke chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus saw a widow. She was a widow, and her only son had died. And the funeral procession comes by. And they're all weeping. Of course, this widow, she's distraught because not only does she have, not she didn't have a husband to take care of her, but her only son has just died. And the scriptures says when Jesus saw her, his heart went out to her. And he told her, Don't cry. And of course, we know the rest of the story. Don't, what did he do? He went over and told the boy to get up. And the boy got up out of the coffin and he raised him from the dead. Why? Because he was moved. He had compassion. Again, we see Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 touching a leper. Now in that day and time, you didn't touch lepers, right? Because that's how you contract the disease. It was incurable disease, right? And so the day this man was diagnosed, he hadn't been touched. Right? He lived in isolation. He couldn't live in his home. He couldn't live in the village. He had to go out in the... In, in the desolate areas. And when he came to town to buy things in the market, he had to scream when he came through the town. What did he scream? Do you remember? Unclean, unclean. So he couldn't like real undiscreetly go into town and buy things and just, you know, secretly go out of town. No. By law, he had to say unclean so people could stay away from him so they could they couldn't contract the disease. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't just say, be clean. Jesus touched. Right? He touched the Because Jesus had compassion. He was compassion. He was right? We're to clothe ourselves with compassion. Clothe ourselves with kindness. Are you easily moved? Becky, are you easily moved? Are you compassionate towards 
those who are hurting. Yeah, we, we should be compassionate. We should be kind. Let's, let's continue on. We should be humble. What does it mean to be humble? It's to have a modest, honest opinion of ourselves. Right? Yeah, in light of God and who He is, how should we view ourselves? Right? We should be humble. We should be humble. Now, when we think about Jesus, you look at Philippians chapter 2, we get this, he is, he is humility, right? Because he left the glories of heaven and he became a man to walk among us, right? And not only did he do that, but he even went to the cross, right? He humbled himself, right? He became a man, but then he humbled himself, right? Suffered humility and humiliation as he went to the cross. Philippians chapter 2, real quick, I'll read it for you. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. And that's what Jesus did, right? He says, in your relationship with others, have the same mindset as Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, yeah, we're to close up with humility. We're to be humble people as believers. We're to be humble. And I think one of the things that can, can help us with that is we always have to think of ourselves in light of who God is. And in fact, everything above hell is a privilege for us. The best thing to fight pride is that, that phrase. Everything above hell is a privilege. Because that's what we deserve. Each and every one of us deserve, we deserve the wrath of God. That's what we deserve. We deserve hell. Everything above hell is privilege. We're to be humble. Jesus is humble. Let's continue on. What else did he say we should put on? What else should we do? We should be gentle and patient. William Burkett, he's an 18th century commentator. He says this, Christ was a lamb for meekness, but it does not become any of his followers to be lions for fierceness. Meekness means gentleness. Some have called it bridled strength. And it's not this, like, we're to be gentle and patient. Gentle, that doesn't mean you're to be milk toast and let everyone run over you. No. There's this essence where you have the ability to act, you have the, the strength, the might within you to maybe retaliate against someone. But yet, what do you do? You hold that back. It's not someone who just doesn't have the ability to just get run over. No, it's someone who has the ability, right, to ward off, attack, ability to get revenge, right, retribution, to get what they do. They hold off. There's gentleness, right, patience. We see that in the life of Jesus as well, right? I mean, think about Jesus in his dealings with the disciples, the things he had to teach them. As you read through the New Testament, he had to teach them over and over and over and over and over again. Disciples just like us, right? Yeah, sometimes with our children think, man, how many times do I have to teach them this before they get it? Missy, how many times have you thought that with your children? You're teaching them, you're saying the same thing over and over and over. How many times do I have to tell you this, right? But we're the same way, right? We're, we're not much different than our children. Mark chapter 8, Jesus 
see the disciples. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. This is right after they fed Jesus said to 4,000 people. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees out of here. Jesus teaching them. Like they've been walking with Jesus, and Jesus has been teaching them all about these things. So Jesus mentioned, watch out. You know, warning them, watch out for the Pharisees and that of the hair. And the disciples, what they do? They do what we would do. And it's talking about bread, because we have no bread. Verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hard? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember all the things I taught you, right? Jesus being patient. Being patient with his disciples. And that's what we should we should be patient with. We should be gentle and patient. Let's continue on. What else should we should we be? We should, we should bear with one another, right? And forgive one another. Why? Because we've been forgiven, right? God bears with us and forgives us, so we should bear with us. What if we need to bear up with, with others? I just, in language terms, we just put up with people. I mean, think about it. And we do that, right? As a husband and a wife. Well, I don't, but my wife does, right? She puts up with me. I don't put it in there, but she puts up with me. Right? Yeah, she bears those things. Well, and it's not necessarily bad things, right? No, it could be just snoring, you know. <laughs> little things you do when you eat, right? There's just some things that drive us crazy about our spouses. Or just people, or our children, right? Or one another as a family of God, right? And this is the context, right? It's not just talking about in general. It's talking about within the context of the church. We have to bear with one another. We have to put up with one another, right? And we all have our little... We all have our little something's going on. You know, our little quirks and our little issues, right? Yeah, we have our character flaws, right? If you rub your hand on a, a piece of wood or maybe a piece of, of metal, you know, sometimes they have little burrs there, you know? Well, guess what? We're not gonna, we haven't been sanded out and smoothed out. We all always have these burrs on us. Right? Some of us are a little more uh, high A than others, right? We're a little bit more outspoken. And when we say things, maybe we say things a little harshly. Right? Yeah. Sometimes, right? Yeah, sometimes we, yeah, we do things we shouldn't do. But in the context of the church, what he's referring to, let's stay with each other and forgive one another. And when we think about Jesus, right? Um, he's forgiven. Look at what he did. Look at what he did. God on the cross. So we need to be forgiven. But the thing about it, you know, is, is, is the church. That's what makes the church so beautiful. Because we have, we have people from every, the church is made up of people from every tongue and tribe, every ethnic group, right? Every language, every socioeconomic group, right? But yet, we can be family together. Why? Because we have a commonality. What is that commonality? It is salvation. It comes to faith in Jesus. And that's what unites us. And that's what makes church so beautiful. That's what makes our church so beautiful. Because we have people from all different walks of life. With so many different personalities. With so many different quirks. But yet, what can we do? We can live life together. Walk and love each other together. 
But I think here, I think there's two things going on. Peace is, is a state, but it's also an experience. What I mean by state is this. Before we placed our faith and trust in Jesus, we were at war with God. The Bible says we were in enmity with Him, which means we were God's enemies. We're against Him. He's against us, right? Because we're sinners. We're rebelling against God, right? There's no relationship because of sin. Relationship has been broken. We're at war with Him. He's at war with us. We're against each other, right? We can't have a relationship with Him because He's holy. We're sinful, right? Yeah, we're in enmity. We are objects of God's wrath. We are dead in our trans- transgressions and sin, right? We are dead. We are at war with Him. But now, because of the work of Christ, that has been changed. Right? Jesus took our punishment. He was nailed to the cross. He was punished so we wouldn't have to be. He took, he took our punishment. He, he died. He was separated from the Father. He bore the wrath of God for us. He was buried. On the third day, He rose from the dead. The conquered sin and death. Because of that, the Bible says we repent. If we turn from our sin and place our faith and trust in Jesus' work, if we, if we know and, and believe that Jesus died for us, took our place, on the third day, He rose from the dead, the Bible says that we'll be forgiven. And that relationship, that enmity will all be done away with. And we'll, we won't be against God. He will be against us and we'll be on the same side. God's for us now. Because of the work of Christ. Because Jesus bore our punishment. It's all because of Christ. But something changes, right? There's a state. Now we're not at war with God. He's not at war with us. We're at peace because of the work of Christ. Now we're on the same team. He's for us, right? So it's a state, but it's also an experience. So that first, that state should motivate us. Man, I'm not at war with God. I'm not an option with God's right. God's on my side. That should motivate us to, to obey the Lord. And so when we sin, right, and grieves God, that should sadden us. It should grieve us. Because, wow, look what God did. I was an enemy with Him, but yet, while I was a sinner, Jesus died for me. Now I'm on your side. That should grieve us. It should motivate us to obey but not only is it a state, it's an experience. What happens when you disobey the Lord as a believer? Hey, what happens when you disobey the Lord? You're disciplined, right? Yeah, there's there's grief. There's conviction, right? It's uncomfortable. We don't like that, right? But what happens when we obey the Lord? There's peace, right? So it's not just a state, but it's also an experience. When we obey the Lord, there's just peace in our life. And what happens when we when we obey the Lord in the context of the church? We obey the Lord. We all obey the Lord. What happens? There's peace among us, right? We experience it as a church. Not as individually, but corporately as a church. There's peace. Just say it's similar to your home, right? Your kids obey you. They do what they're told. What happens? There's peace. When they disobey, what happens? There's war, right? Yeah, there's just... Uh, right? We obey, there's things. And that happens in the church. We obey the Lord. We're all individuals obeying the Lord as we meet together. What happens? There's there's peace among us. Let the peace of Jesus be in the power of our lives. Let it rule our lives. 
So believers are being motivated to show outwardly what's taking place inwardly. We're to let the peace of Jesus show in our lives. Thirdly, the gospel should be central to our lives. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs of gratitude and heart to God. This is his word of truth there, word of Christ, right? Word of Christ. Well, in, in chapter 1, verse 5, it says the word of truth. It's the word of Christ. It's the word of truth. It's the gospel. Well, we see that over and over again. We see the word of Christ, the word of truth. We see it in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Whenever you see this word of truth, it's referring to the gospel. But some people say, well, I think this is talking about just the Bible as a whole. Well, maybe so. And I think it fits. But I think more specifically, this is referring to the gospel. This, this message that a holy God can have a relationship with sinful man, right? That's the message. That's the good story. That's the gospel, right? The good news. I think that's what this is referring to. That news that Jesus bore our sin. I mean, even though we were an enemy with God, now we can have a relationship with God. We can be reconciled to a holy God because of the work of Christ. This is the message that should dwell within us. Look at what it says there. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How many of you have had roommates, not your spouse, but maybe in college or maybe you were in the military, you had you had roommates? You ever had a roommate other than your spouse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now sometimes you have a good roommate, right? Yeah, you have a good roommate. We all we maybe we've had those, you know, maybe your butt mate or whatever. In college I had a bunch of roommates. They were, you know, some of them were great, some of them were not so great, right? Some of them were, were enjoyed and some of them were not so pleasant to be around. But this is what this word referred to. When it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. What it mean? means? The message should dwell within us, should take residence, take a residence in us. It's like being a roommate. What, what that means, what are we talking about? Well, this message should be central to our lives, to our conversation. We should preach to ourselves every day the gospel. The, the, this gospel, we should, we should think about the gospel throughout our day, right? Individually. We should be obsessed with this good story. But but again, what's the context here? Because normally the context is the church. The context is the church. Yes, we're to preach to ourselves, but then it says we're to teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Now, some people have the gift of teaching and preaching. Right? Yeah, formally there, there's gifts. We all have different gifts. And not everybody has a gift of preaching and teaching. But here, it's talking about individually. This is referring to every believer. We're to judicially apply the gospel truth to others' lives. And it says, sing psalms. What's that referred to? Probably Old Testament psalms. And then hymns. We already studied the hymn, right? Colossians chapter 1, verse 15-20. That was a, a, a Christ Christological hymn, right? We said, oh, in Philippians chapter 2, they're hymns. Remember, they didn't have the scriptures back then. You know, they didn't have a Bible. NIV or ESV or whatever, King James. But they didn't have the scriptures. So they would the things they'd been taught, they would they would put in song so they could remember, right? And they would sing those things to one another. And as needed, believers would share at the time of need specific truths of the gospel that needed to be heard. And I can say this, I've experienced this in my own life. I'm a Lord she's here. She does this all the time with me and with me. She speaks gospel truths into your life. 
that you meet together. She's 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 speaking God the truth in your life. And on so many occasions, the things she reminded me of that I already knew, but she reminded me of, has just been so kind, so used by the Lord. Some of you experience that too as you come to church. Uh, the Sunday school teacher, she'll write on the card, she'll write some truth there, put a candy or a snack on there, something related to the verse. But yeah, that's what she's doing. She's, she's doing this. Verse 16. She reminded us of gospel truths. And that's what we were to do. Remind each other of the gospel. And a tiny reminder of a gospel truth can go a long way in edifying the church. We spoke of this on Wednesday night. And we, sometimes we get it all backwards. It's really easy for us to just get things just all backwards. Because you think, well, you come to church and you hear a preacher preach. And that's true. That's what you're doing today, right? But as believers, we talked about this on Wednesday night. If we come to church and we're praying, God, use me today. Use me today. And we come to church looking to speak gospel truths into one another's lives. I mean, think about that. What would happen in our church? Now, I use this illustration on Wednesday. What if you're going to, to share the gospel with someone who, who needs to hear it? They, they're not a believer, but you tell me, Shane, I'm going to share the gospel with this person. Then we would pray. All right, Lord, you know, we would pray. Lord, help, help, help them. Give them some clear words to say and help this person who's going to hear the gospel, that they'll be receptive to it, that you use this to change life. We'd be praying like that, wouldn't we? But what if on Sunday mornings as we come to church, for those of us who are believers, right? What if what if we did that on Sunday morning and we pray, Lord, use me today. Help me today to speak gospel truths in people's lives. Help me to remind my brother and sister Christ the gospel and the truths they need to hear. What if we did that? I think our, our, our worship time, our Sunday morning time, our Wednesday night time would be sweeter. You let the word of Christ, let the gospel dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. With all wisdom, drill the Lord, right? Because you have to share those things in a way that people want to receive. You've got to be wild when they do that. Yeah, the gospel should be central to our lives. Lastly, look at verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through you. Everything we do should be consistent with Jesus' character. You're a believer, making you to put off the old self, put off the deeds of darkness, all those selfish, self-absorbed habits. Get rid of those things. Greed, immorality, lying, all those things. Selfishness. Get rid of those things. Don't do those things anymore. But there's some things we need to do. And what we do, we, we need to do this. We need to be compassionate. We need to be forgiving, bear one another. We need to love each other, right? Be peaceful people. We need to forgive. Verse 17 is doing it. Just summarize everything we've said over the last two weeks. Our actions consistent with the character of Jesus. We do things and we say, can you do that in Jesus' name? Because it was kind of that's kind of a churchy thing to me, Jesus. That's kind of a churchy phrase, right? What's that mean exactly? Can you do something and say this is in Jesus' name? This is consistent with Jesus' character. The way you talk to your wife, the way you discipline your kids, the way you talk to this person, that person, is it consistent with Jesus' character? Is that what Jesus would do? Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says to clothe ourselves with Jesus. I think that's what this is talking about. Is your conduct consistent with the character of Christ? As a believer, we just can't just avoid bad stuff. Don't do these bad things. In order to grow into our position, 
being completed in Christ, we have to not only avoid self-focused habits, but we have to do certain things. Show outwardly what is happening. We must put on, clothe ourselves with these Christ-like virtues. We must be compassionate people, kind, humble, gentle, patient. We must love one another. We must be at peace, right? We must remind each other of God's own truths. We must live in a, a, such a way that honors Lastly, look at verse 16 through 17. Three times in these last three verses, it talks about being thankful. Verse 15 ends with, and be thankful. And then verse 16, let the word of Christ will be richly, with gratitude in your hearts to God. And then verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Last thing is, we're just to be thankful people. That's a Christ like verse. Just be thankful. All that we have. I mean, think about that. What I said earlier, everything above hell is a privilege. Why well, we have a lot to be thankful for. That's kind of going to be our invitation today. A little application on what I need to do. Do what Jesus wants you to do. Be compassionate. Be patient. Be humble. Be forgiving. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.